You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. It's fall. It's a new season in my home as well. My daughter um, is in college out in Oregon. And as my, my daughter, our only daughter, our oldest, our only daughter, um, is away in college, it makes our home feel more male. <laughs> so pray for my wife. Uh, I don't know if you saw if you saw our family sitting up there, our three boys. Um, there's just a lot of maleness in our in our home, uh, missing our our girl, um, but she's doing really well out in Oregon. And yeah, uh, my wife could use some some female attention, <laughs> um, but really good. Um, we've been talking about idols uh, for a couple weeks. We've been talking about the idols of control. You know how how so often we like to control things. I don't know if. I like to control things. I don't like not being in control. It's okay. You can laugh. They're going to laugh at me a lot today, hopefully. Uh, I like to control things. It's it's a hard one to surrender. We've talked about the idol of comfort. I like to be comfortable, too. (laughs) Who doesn't like to be comfortable? We like like our routines. We don't like to be shaken up all the time. Uh, Last week, Greg talked about the, the idol of success and wealth. You know, and, and idols, just to remind ourselves, idols, there's anything that we, we move above the place of God in our life. Anything that, that, that I guess, I, think, I like to think of it this way. When I'm, when I'm thinking about something or, or having a perspective on something or, or trying to make a decision, what, what tips the scale in the decision? Is what, tip, what tips the scale, is it, a, is it comfort? Is it control? Is it is it money? Is it how's it going to affect the bottom line, or is what tips the scale the creator of the universe, the one who's more interested in every aspect of your life than anybody else in anything? Is does God the one who tips the scale? Are we placing anything above God? And this morning, uh, David and Julie asked what I'm going to be speaking on, and I said it's a surprise <laughs> because. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Jessica inspired me by having blanks on the notes, and I thought, oh, that's a really good idea. And as I was preparing this message, my, my, my hope this morning is to push your buttons a little bit, and, and I didn't want to give you a heads up on that, <laughs> so, I, so I'm going to hold it back for, for a few moments. Well, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for family. We thank you for community. We thank you that we can come and, and open up the scriptures together. And God, we pray that, that our ears are open, not to me but to you. God, what you want to say, may your words come come through me, come through the scriptures, come come to us and, and however you want to speak to us today. So God, we give you this time in Jesus' name. I want to go to Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back to the beginning. And in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree, any of the trees in the garden? Right, right from the very beginning, who's he questioning? He's questioning Eve, but he's questioning God. He's questioning God's authority. He's questioning God's intention. He's, he's questioning God's um, wisdom here. Verse 2, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. 
It's only from the, tr- from the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. For God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. Uh, if, if you're paying attention, and I know we didn't read the verses before, but God said don't eat. He didn't say don't touch. So even there, uh, Eve is, is adding to, Eve is questioning God's instruction. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. For God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. The serpent said, God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. I think, I think Greg mentioned a few weeks ago, the temptation here that the, 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 the serpent says is that you will be like God. But if we're reading the verses that come before, we're already like God. We've, we were created in the human, humankind. Humanity was created in the image and likeness of God. We are already like God. So we're reaching for something that we already have. But then the serpent says, knowing both good and evil. I want to talk about three idols, and they're all related. And the first one is the first blank, the idol of knowledge. (laughs) I want to talk about the idol of, of knowledge this morning. Because in this moment, instead of, of listening to God, instead of accepting what he said, she's reaching for, for more knowledge. She's reaching for own understanding, to have understanding for herself and not, not completely dependent upon what God said. Instead of just obeying what God said, she, said, she wants to know for herself. Mankind wants to know for herself. Then how often... Is that just every day? That's, I, I want to know for myself. <laughs> I, I want to know. I want to have the knowledge. I want to know the directions. I, I want to know what's coming next. I want to know what's ahead. I don't. I when when I have a hard time when my wife and I will go on little little trips, and I have a hard time not knowing what the destination is because I want to know how to get there. I I I, I want to put it in my phone, even if I already know where it is, so that it can tell me exactly the minute that I'm going to get there and how far it is. And if we make any stops, I know that it took me an extra five minutes or, or whatever. I want to know. Uh, that's more control. We'll put that one for a couple weeks ago. But knowledge. Not a bad thing, but here in, in, this, in, this, in this moment, instead of accepting what God said, she wants to know for herself. And so knowledge is not wrong, but it can become an idol if it takes the place of God, which in this moment I think it is. You know, and how much do we rely on our own knowledge? And I, I have an illustration that, that might get me in trouble, but my kids and I like, like to watch Star Wars. <laughs> And this idea, yeah, we got a few Star Wars fans in the house, but this idea of um, trust the force, Luke. <laughs> or we see Luke as, as the, the blinder over his eyes from 1977, and, and he's got his lightsaber, and he's, he's trying to block the whatever is being, being shot at him, and he can't even see. And he's like, how can I even see? And he's like, you're trusting your eyes too much. You're trusting your knowledge too much. You know, there's so, there's so often, and that's a silly illustration, I'm not talking about trusting the force by, by any means. 
but we rely on our knowledge, don't we? And knowledge is not bad. None of these things that we're talking about are bad. There's some things that are bad, but for the most part, I mean, there's nothing wrong, inherently wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with, with knowledge. But what, what becomes wrong is when we rely upon our knowledge more than we rely upon God. Uh, but I think, I think we struggle with that one a little bit. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 4. Greg read from this passage last week and looking at uh, the life of Solomon. In 1 Kings 4 verse 29, it says, And God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding, knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan. I'm going to just skip a bunch of names instead of pretending that I know what they, how to say them. Uh, his fame spread throughout the entire land. Verse uh, 32, he composed some 3,000 proverbs, wrote uh, 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all the kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. It goes off talking about the great wisdom and knowledge and understanding that, that Solomon had. And then verse 29, God says, God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. You know, cl closely tied with knowledge is understanding, that we want to understand. We want to know, but we also want to understand. And this is where, personally, I get myself in a lot of trouble, that I want to understand. And, and just when my, where I get in trouble a lot of times, happened this week a number of times, um, in my home is I want to understand it in my language. <laughs> I want to understand it in the way that I understand. And, and, I, and instead of just appreciating my wife and actually listening to her and, and trying to understand where she's coming from, I'm trying to understand it for myself. And that's where I, I get in trouble a lot. Not, not from her. I'm not in trouble, but I know. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm, get, I'm, I'm headed down the wrong path because I'm trying to understand. Instead of just surrendering to the moment and listening I'm trying to wrap my brain around it, and my brain isn't wrapping around it. <laughs> you see, we, we, we want to know. We want to understand. And Solomon, as, as Greg talked about last week, Solomon leaned on his own understanding so much that he made horrible errors. With the exception of his early days as king and his last days as king, his, his life was virtually a train wreck. The amount of, of hurt and pain that he caused and the amount of the stuff that he did and the people that, that he affected, um, he had, as we, as we just read, he had all the wisdom and all the knowledge and all the understanding, but still he went wrong. Because instead of relying upon God to understand that knowledge, instead of listening to God, he relied on his own knowledge and his own understanding to figure out what to do. And that's why... For Solomon, instead of listening to the three clear commandments in Deuteronomy that are given to kings of Israel, and I've talked about this before, God tells the Israelites hundreds of years before this, when you have a king, three commands, three very simple, very understandable commands, 
You can go back there. He talks about not going and getting horses and chariots from Egypt, not acquiring too much gold and silver, and not marrying too many wives, which shouldn't be a problem, you would think. Because it says his heart will be divided. His heart will, will chase after. And so these three things, which there's not really any wiggle room there, but these three things, and we've talked about this before, and you follow the life of Solomon, that he not only broke those three commands given to the kings of Israel, but he like went way overboard <laughs> in it. And so even though we have a man who had this, this not a bad request, God, I want to have wisdom. I want to have understanding. I want to have knowledge. That's not a bad request. But what happened to him in the, in, the, in the years that followed that was he relied too much on his own wisdom, too much on his own knowledge, too much on, on the understanding that was given to him. And I think stop listening to God. You know, and then we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, which Solomon writes, and he's just depressed. That he's chased down every avenue that he can think of to make himself happy, to find fulfillment, to find, to find answers. And it's just leading him nowhere. And Greg talked about last week and, and, and the meaningless, how everything just feels meaningless. And so we come to the end of Ecclesiastes. I'll have it on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. When this is Solomon. He says, here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands. For this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Obey. The question is, who has the say in our lives? Who decides? One of our idols that we're talking about? Or are we, are we letting God be the ultimate judge, the ultimate direction maker, the ultimate source of knowledge, the ultimate source of everything in our lives? And so I'm talking this morning about the idol of knowledge, I'm also talking about the second one there, uh, halfway down the page, the idol of understanding. How so often we want to know, we want to understand, instead of just obeying. <laughs> How God desires our obedience. As I said, Solomon failed in these, these three simple commands. Instead of listening to God, he leaned on his own knowledge and understanding. You know, so often we reach, we all do, we all reach for answers that we don't have. One of my, I've talked about this before, but one of my pet peeves isn't strong enough, and yet it's also too strong. <laughs> but one of, my, one, of, one of the phrases that really just gets me is when we say, my finger turned it off there for a second. When we say everything happens for a reason, let's just sit with that phrase for a second. When we're faced with a situation where that we don't understand, when we're faced with a situation that, that we just want to know what is going on, why, why God did this happen, we, we, we tend to say simple things like everything happens for a reason. And I get it. I've said it. I've thought it. But it, I want to I challenge, and I, I've, I've challenged this one before, I want to challenge that that statement is not true. Everything happens for a reason. My dad's motorcycle accident back in 2008, 
It didn't happen for a reason. It happened because somebody pulled out in front of him and ran, and he ran into that car head on. And then when we look for why is he going through so much suffering? Why, when he's laying in the hospital for months, why? Why, God? Well, everything happens for a reason, people would say. Like, that's a terrible reason. <laughs> you know, when, when my father-in-law passed away of colon cancer in 2020 after an excruciating nine-month nine month battle, you know, and people, we all do it. I've done it. We try to offer words of support and just we try to say something when we don't know what, what else to say. Things like everything happens for a reason or God knows best or, or those things. And in that moment, it just is like you're just in that moment of loss and heartache and depth. That is just there are there are seem there are no answers. But there's still God. You know, we often quote the verse, sometimes I think misappropriately, but Romans 8.28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And I've said this before, everything doesn't happen for a reason, but God brings reason. God brings purpose. God brings good out of everything. That's what, if we, read, if we hear that phrase, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. What are you saying there? What Paul is saying there is that life is hard, that things happen, that, that people do things, that, I mean, even in, in, in most recent days, some of the earthquakes that have happened, that we've had hundreds and thousands of people that have passed away, the earth happens. And the promise here in Romans chapter 8 is that God will work through it. That God will do something in the midst of it. That God will bring good somehow out of it. Not that, that, what, that God did that for a specific purpose. And he's very active. He, he brings things to the past. He's, he's involved. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But sometimes life just happens. And when we reach for knowledge, we reach for an understanding that isn't quite there Instead of just surrendering to God and saying, God, I don't know why this happened. I don't understand why this happened, but I'm going to lean on you in this moment. That's really where the hope is. I remember being in the basement of my, sorry. I was in the basement of my in-law's house. When after we flew, we flew out there after my father-in-law passed away, and and I, I texted, um, uh, I texted Mark Estes. He's been here before. He's the pastor. He was my father-in-law's pastor. And I, I just texted him and said, "I can't even pray right now. Can you pray for me?" And he, he FaceTimed me right like seconds later. He, he FaceTimed me and just prayed with me. Because I didn't have answers. I didn't have knowledge, and I don't want to pretend to have it. But I can still have hope. I can still trust that God is going to do a work through it. We, we, when, when, when we're 
going through something, when we're walking with somebody that's been through something or is in the middle of something, we need to be careful about the words that we say when we reach for knowledge and we reach for understanding that we really don't have, it's really not helpful. When instead we just need to be reaching for the creator of the universe and saying, God, I'm gonna put you in charge of this and I don't understand it. I don't have any knowledge to explain it, but I'm gonna lean upon you in this moment. Didn't expect to get so emotional today. <laughs> um. I've been thinking about Job. Um, Job in the in the scriptures is so is such an example to us, and and Job in 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 the life and the story that we have that's captured in the book of Job, Job's faith stays so strong through such horrific events, and he has he has a faith that keeps him through, and he's able to sustain through really unbelievable circumstances. And then it says that Job's friends came around him and they tried to offer some perspective and they said, Job, this, is hap this has to be happening because of something. And so they, they tell Job, what sin do you have in your life that you need to confess? What have you done that you're not telling us? Because what's happened to you doesn't match what you're telling us. And, and you see this narrative between Job and his friends and, and Job stays strong for, for a while and he's still putting his faith and his trust in God, but eventually he cracks and, and he, he shakes his fist at God, and he says, why are you doing this to me? And then God speaks, and it, it's really, it's an amazing book. And God, God speaks, and he says, were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I shaped this and when I, when I brought this and when I brought things into existence? Do you know the greatness of everything? And God doesn't even answer Job's question. He doesn't even give him, give him a reason for, any, for anything except he says, who are you <laughs> to speak? I think I need to be reminded of that once in a while. Who am I <laughs> to speak in this moment? Why don't I just shut up <laughs> and listen and not try to understand Let's listen to Jesus. <laughs> Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 23, it's kind of a, but follow me with this, this, art, this, this passage, but in Jesus has been teaching and, and some, some religious leaders come and they're, they're wanting to, to question Jesus and trap him and, and put him into a corner and it says in verse 23, it says that same day Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question, teacher Moses, Moses said, if a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Which is really uh, just, I'm not going to try to ex explain that <laughs> today, but really just, just kind of like put in the back of, back of your mind God gave instructions to the Israelites, to the ancient Israelites, in order to care for the oppressed, in order to care for those who can't care for themselves in, in, in this context. And so this is meant to be a blessing, even though it sounds like really weird. But in verse 25, it says, well, suppose there were seven brothers, the oldest one married, and then 
died while there were no children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died. The third brother married her. They continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? They want some knowledge. <laughs> they want some understanding. For all seven were married to her, which makes me scratch my head. I don't know. Verse 29, Jesus replied, Jesus, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Jesus is talking to the Sadducees and the Sadducees actually, they only read, they only focused on the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and they ignored the rest. And in Jesus, what I love what he does here is he, he responds to them. And instead of saying, why don't you read the rest of the Bible? <laughs> he uses the Torah to, to, to answer them. He uses what they already know to answer them. And the Sadducees, in, in fact, a lot of Jewish people in that day, they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have, there weren't, there weren't bookstores. There were no books. There, there, the Bibles were found in, in the synagogue and in the temple. And they would memorize. There was a very oral culture. There was, things would be passed down through story and through, through memorization. And so, so many of the Jewish men would memorize the first five books of the Bible. So they, they knew their Bible. <laughs> they knew it on a level that I'll say I never will. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to try to memorize the first five books. Maybe I'll stick with the New Testament if I'm going to memorize but memorizing Leviticus doesn't, just doesn't sound like any fun to me. But they, they, they knew the scripture cold. They knew it. And they, they're bringing this question to Jesus and this question really to God and saying, God, you set this thing up, but there's a problem here, God. And God, Jesus, and God, responds in saying, you don't know the scriptures. But they do know the scriptures. These religious leaders, they knew the scriptures. They leaned on their knowledge and understanding of the scriptures. They leaned on it in a way that, that, that we, what, there's so much more than what we, that we ever do for ourselves. But they would elevate their knowledge of the scriptures. And the last idol that I want to talk about, and this is the one where I want to push your button a little bit, is the idol of Scripture. <laughs> Stay with me. The idol of Scripture. You see, these, the Sadducees in this verse, they leaned on their knowledge and understanding of Scripture and elevated the Scripture above the author, which I think we can easily do the same. You see, it's really, it's, it's really about how we approach the scriptures. Do we look at the Bible for answers or do we look to the Bible to know God? When we, when we talk about the Bible, when we speak the Bible, are we open to being corrected? Are we open to seeing it differently? It's a really big book with a lot in, in it. And so often we, we think we got it. 
And sometimes we aren't letting it still speak to us, letting God still speak to us and and, sh- and correct the way the way that we're the way the way that we're seeing it. Do we only listen to the voices that we already agree with? Do we demand answers to questions the Bible isn't answering? I'm teaching Genesis this week to our Momentum students and to our Wednesday night classes. And Genesis gives us so much. There's so much in Genesis. Wealth of wisdom and understanding and knowledge that's in there. There's so much in there, but there's a lot that isn't in there. <laughs> if, if you want to write a book about the creation of the world, I don't think you can finish it in one page. <laughs> but... God tells us all we really need to know in that one page, and that's he did it. <laughs> and a little bit about how he did it, but I want to know more. <laughs> but how did the cells come together and the things happen and the trees do the things that they did? And I wonder, when you created a tree, did you create it and it grew, or did you create it old? Or were there already rings in the tree when you created it? So when they walked up to the tree, had it just been there for a little while? Or when you cut that tree down and you see 150 rings in there, Was it 150 years ago? I want to know the answers to these questions. (laughs) But the Bible's not answering that that answer. The Bible's saying, God did it, you trust it, and let's move on. (laughs) And that's okay. There's There's a lot that's not there, but there is a lot that is there. And so do we listen, do we allow the scriptures to speak for themselves? Do we allow God to speak for himself? Or do we come at it with what we think we already know and don't, allow us to be challenged in any aspect. Because I I think that if you read the scriptures and you aren't challenged, you're not really reading the scriptures. (laughs) If you read the gospels and you read the teachings of Jesus and it doesn't challenge you, maybe we're becoming a little too familiar because it's challenging what Jesus says to us. Are we letting it challenge us? It, it's, it's more comfortable to trust God's word than God himself. That's religion. And I, there's, a, a, there's a word that I, I, I can't seem to figure out how to spell, but I like to say that's Bible-olatry, idolatry, but with the Bible. When we elevate the Bible and we understand it's not just, I'm not really saying elevating the Bible. I'm really, what I'm really saying it's elevating my understanding of the Bible, or your understanding of the Bible. When we elevate my understanding of the Bible above God, that's a problem. When we elevate Scripture to a place that it really shouldn't have, because Scripture is, it's just, it's so big, and there's so much there, and there's, there's it's, it's, it's a beautiful mystery that we get to uncover for the, all of our Proverbs says it's the gift of kings. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the gift of kings to uncover it. And it's a lifelong pursuit of understanding the scriptures. When we think we have it all figured out, when we think we understand the scriptures, I think we're we're thinking too much. (laughs) And we're leaning upon our knowledge and our understanding maybe a little bit too much. In this uh, last week in Old Testament survey, I talked about the, the, the three phases of the development of the Hebrew scriptures of, of the Old Testament. Now, there's a composition phrase, how the, the, 
the, the scriptures were written down. And then there was an exile, how Israel went into exile. The Babylonian um, army came and, and conquered the Israelites and, and brought them um, into Babylon. And then what happens in the history of the scriptures is that there's a development of the canon, how they collect the scriptures, and they want to pass it down. They want to look at it and say, man, where did we go wrong? How did we get here? We had a king. We had, we had a, a kingdom, and we were doing so well. How did we get here? And so they want to look at the scriptures again. And so they develop the, the, the Hebrew scriptures come to a greater uh, place. And then later, uh, another exile happens, and the and Jerusalem temple is destroyed again. And then they, they look to the Hebrew scriptures again. And what happens is that through, through these exiles, through the persecution that comes, the greater, they, they elevate the scriptures appropriately. Oh, the great, elevate the scriptures more and more in their lives. But what, what, what happened, though, uh, for, for the people that were doing that is that they wanted to make sure what happened. And so we're going to be focused really strong on the law and making sure that we don't do it again so this doesn't happen again. And the motivation that, that, that seeped into um, the followers of, of to, to, in the Christians, what seeped in is let's make sure that we obey the law so this doesn't happen again. Instead of maybe just like leaning on Jesus a little bit more. And it's not a bad thing. <laughs> I, I want to do what's right. You want to do, we all want to do what's right. Even when we don't do what's right, we want to do what's right. Paul talks about that. But when we, when we focus on that so much that we aren't focusing enough on Jesus, on God behind it, we, we lose our way and we, we seep into those other idols that we talked about of control and comfort and wealth and success. We so often elevate so many things above God. Their motivation to preserve the law was, was their flaw. And we elevate the scriptures in weird ways. Some of us have are very, very, very connected to a particular translation of the, of the scriptures which I always find very humorous because it wasn't written in English, just so you know. <laughs> but we become very, very connected to a particular translation. And, and I, I mean, I've had people not want to talk to me because I'm not reading the right translation. And I get it. I, I, know, I know the arguments. But we, we elevate the scriptures in weird ways. And uh, we have expectations of unbelievers to elevate the scriptures properly. You know, when, when we throw a fit that somebody's not following the scriptures or when, they're, when they want to take the scriptures off of a monument, how do we have expectation of somebody that doesn't even believe in God for them to, to hold the scriptures properly? Now, I, I, I want to see the scriptures maintained. I want to see those, 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 those things in history stand. But we need to understand that if somebody doesn't, they don't need the Bible. They need Jesus. <laughs> they need God. And that their understanding of the Bible will come at later. That it's through, it's through the Bible that we come to know God. It's through the scriptures that we, that we become intimately connected with him. 
but we don't want to stay there. We want to stay connected to God. Can I have the, the team come up? I want to go to one more passage in Matthew chapter 6. Let's listen to Jesus again. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all the worries, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Looking, look at the, lily, the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? For these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Idols are idols because of our posture toward them. We can make an idol out of anything, including this. This is not the problem. <laughs> this is actually the answer, or it leads us to the answer. But how we hold it, how we talk about it, how we, how we look to it, how we, we shake it at other people, that can become an idol. Trying to control, trying to seek comfort, to accumulate wealth, knowledge, and understanding is not the answer. Jesus is. Why don't we stand up? We're going to sing a song. I, I, I kind of laughed at myself when I was working on this message because I like to read a lot. I, I like I have audiobooks and Kindle books and book books and I, I like knowledge. I, I, I like to read a lot. But I, I also need to remind myself of whom I look into for for knowledge, for understanding. Because knowledge and, and reading and accumulating knowledge, uh, understanding and all those things, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as we have God in the right place and letting him shape. And I know I know that it can be so subjective because I, I worry, well, if I tell you, listen to God and do what he says, I gotta have faith that you're gonna listen to God and do what he says. And it's much easier for me to tell you, just do this and you'll be okay. That would be a lot easier, but that would be control. But instead we need to listen to God and let him be in charge and not put anything above him. Jesus, we thank you for 
God, first of all, coming to earth to live and breathe and lead us and ultimately die for us so that we can come to know you. God, so that we can be shaped by you. We can be forgiven. We can be set free. We can find transformation. We can find restoration. So God, help us to put you above everything as you are the source of knowledge, of understanding. And you are the source of the scriptures that ultimately guide us to you. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, let's worship together. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.